He sits down with former Badgers to break down the season. Whether it's on defense or offense, we got to put it to the team. Immediately. We talked about that. That's the hardest thing to pick up. I would like to see our corners play a little more aggressive. Now, I think that's when our run game started to get going. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into another Wisconsin Football Roundtable. We're live from Coaches Club in Cross Plains, right on Main Street. Come on down. A lot of great drink specials, a lot of TVs to watch sports, a lot of great food as well. We have enjoyed the pretzel bites every single time I've been here. I know Mike Taylor, big fan of the pretzel bites. Brady Ewing as well. I don't think Bill Nagy is. I don't know. Uh, but he, he'll get into him a little bit as well. He was here an hour ago eating up the yeah. floor. <laughs> uh, it's all about the sauce with it. Yeah. I got uh, the secret sauce with it. <laughs> we got, the, as I mentioned, those guys, former Badgers here as we look back at Wisconsin's win over Michigan State. Their fourth shutout already this year. They shut out four of their six opponents. I think they're the first Big Ten team to do that since 1962. It's the most shutouts Wisconsin's had since 1930 uh, when they had five shutouts. But... Um, there's some teams on that schedule that were not uh, big time teams. I don't think very much. I think Charlton was something was a, was a college. I didn't even know that was a school. But either way, Wisconsin has uh, has done quite well so far this year, and uh, they're getting ready to take on Illinois uh, as they hit on the road for the first time since August. But going back and looking back at that game against Michigan State, Jonathan Taylor was stopped for the first time. I guess, and I'll put it in air quotes, stopped. He still had 80 yards. He had two touchdowns, but he was stopped more so than any other team had stopped him this year. But Jack Cohn stepped up. Jack Cohn was 18 of 21, 180 yards and a touchdown. Did he prove to you guys that if Illinois or Ohio State is able to stop Jonathan Taylor, that he can he can beat a team with his arm, Brady? I like the confidence he showed, and it was in a time of need. Um, you know, his completion pre- percentage is up there, and he's out there slinging it, looked confident with it, threw, throwing some darts, spreading the ball around to some different receivers. So um, it was nice to see him, especially earlier in the game, step up when the score was still uh, pretty close and um, get after it. But two of those, those two fourth down passes, the one that was set up perfectly on the, you know, the, the fake and then over the top to Jake Ferguson who stumbled. At the, have you guys ever stumbled? Like Jake Ferguson stumbled at the five-yard line and went down at the one. Brady, I, you, guys, you guys have never scored a touchdown in college, correct, uh, Mike? You, you had a chance. I know you were really upset. Four chances, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bill, you never recovered anything? No, nothing. All right. Did, have you ever had that opportunity where you, like, get that close and you fall where the the five yard line trips you no that was was pretty bad bad. that was was i felt bad that was horrible (laughs) yeah but um there was a was a unlv senior year sort of in 2011 got close to scoring it wasn't a open field stumble kind of deal but it was a tackle that the one questionable whether i got it or not honestly i looked down on the computer and started typing away the tweet he had scored a touchdown and and i looked up and i'm like why are they lining up with the one what happened he played and it off cool. I heard afterwards he was telling he wanted to get uh, JT at the other touchdown. He did. So. He wanted to get uh, Jonathan Taylor another touchdown. He goes, I don't really need a score. I'll give it to JT and help his little Heisman campaign. But uh, And then there was the other fourth down throw that Jack had on a slant right to A.J. Taylor on like fourth and five, I think it was, and it was a perfect pass. I just – he just – I don't know. I, I, I he probably has looked this way most of the year outside of the time that he was injured, but – did it help? Did it give you more confidence, Bill, to see him Absolutely. do what he did? I think right now, what are they like? Seven for seven, eight for eight on eight fourth for eight down? on fourth down. I mean, it, that's unbelievable alone. Um, just to have you know him stand in there and make those throws. Um, and like I said, I don't want to say stopping Jonathan Taylor, but um, you know, like holding him to eighty yards um, and giving some of the other guys confidence and getting Quintez involved and 
um, you know, having Jack step up and make those throws. Because the reality is, throughout the Big Ten season, you're going to be playing against some pretty good defenses. Yeah. They're going to be loading the box, and they're going to force Jack to make those throws. And uh, he showed that he's capable of doing it, and he's just got to continue to show up and continue to make those plays. Yeah, the 180 yards isn't, like, overly... You know, no, but it's but how it, he did it. Though. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the the throw to Jake on the corner route, right down to the goal line, where it set it up John, uh, Jonathan Taylor's second touchdown, was just a money throw. And I think we are starting to see how good Quintez is. Qu- yes, for sure. And that guy's a big time receiver. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you just got to throw it in the area, and I think that he has a chance to come down with it. So that was exciting to see as well. Yeah, there was an early third down throw that the guy was all over him. And it looked like he was grabbing onto his arms, and Quintez still managed to hold on to it and get the first down. Um, Mike, you went to the game, so you were able to watch it, um, which which is nice. <laughs> when you when you're watching an offense like that and multiple, I guess, offense that has the ability to beat you in the pass in the run game, what does it do to a defense? And what did it do to Michigan State's defense? Yeah, well, going back to what we just said about Jack Cohen, you know. The numbers don't lie. As much as you want to, and I know a lot of times Wisconsin fans are always like, hey, quarterbacks aren't always, you know, the best at Wisconsin. So it's, I don't know if it's dope, but you're just so used to it happening. You know what I mean? We're like, okay, when is it going to happen? When is the game going to happen? We throw those four picks and, you know, the game gets out of hand. And you got to give him credit for for doing what he's done the this whole season is being on top and what 18 for 21 like i don't care short throws long throws that's pretty impressive i mean michigan state's a great defense and to be able to do that on fourth downs convert first downs i mean it's tough not to like i said give jack credit for what he's done this year i mean give jake taylor or uh, jonathan taylor credit you got to give jake uh jack Cohn credit just yeah. as much credit i mean yeah. it's been a, a balanced offense for the most part this season and i think obviously it helps out the run game and the run game helps out the pass game. I mean, if you've got people loading the box, when these tough games start rolling around, these defenses are going to second-guess, like, hey, I don't know if we can load the box like this anymore. Like, this kid's proven himself, you know, through some Big Ten play. Like, he's almost, you know, I don't want to say the real deal, but, I mean, it, yeah. it looks that way. So, yeah. um, you know, credit to the offense, credit to Coach Christ and the little John Budmeyer throw-out. But, I mean, <laughs> they're humming on offense, and it's it's working. So, <laughs> Little John well, defense, too. Right. I was going to say, the defense, obviously, uh, with another shutout. And Brian Lewerke came into the game with the highest. He had the most passing yards of anybody in the Big Ten coming into that game. And he looked like he was overwhelmed immediately. I mean, like his first throw, they got in the back of the lane. He just, like, threw it up. I, I didn't even know what he was throwing to. It just it just seems like they put guys on edge, which just hasn't wasn't the case last year. And it just feels like every time they go into a game, they're playing downhill, and I don't know if you guys see that as well, or, or is it just me? It just feels like they're playing downhill every single time against every single team that they've faced so far this year. Yeah, and I've been impressed with, you know, you get somebody on their heels and, um, you know, get them on their heels and they start throwing, and then we got the pass rush too. I feel like the year or two past, um, we didn't have that much pressure, you know, whether it be from the outside linebackers, um, inside guys soaking up blocks, or some of the pressures that Coach uh, – Leonard might be dialing up. It's been fun to watch. And then seeing the younger guys in the backfield playing man-to-man and locking guys down. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been impressive. Yeah. And the, and the shutouts are apparently obviously very important. I don't care who you're playing to, to, to have, what, four shutouts? Four and six Whether games. it's good teams, bad teams, that's not easy to do. I mean, especially against a Big Ten, te- Big Ten team like Michigan State. Even going back to Michigan, like, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, you let up 14 points, but, I mean, to do that four times... In a season, I mean, 
That's impressive. They've scored as many touchdowns as they've given up. They, they, they have scored personally four touchdowns, and the teams have four touchdowns. Yeah, I think it's how they've done it, too. And when I look back on the game, what I remember is seeing the Michigan State sideline and just watching, you know, the sideline clip and seeing Mark D'Antoni, like, trying to get his guys fired up and just like, where are you guys at? Like, they completely just took the heart from those guys. They, they did. did. for sure. Yeah. No, that the fake punt was, like, the only time I thought they had any energy whatsoever and two plays later, they're getting back-to-back sacks, and then it's like, nope, this thing's done. And, it, you know, as soon as they went up 14 nothing, it felt like it was done. You yeah, start those... doing plays like fake fake punts, right? you know, gimmick plays. Yeah. You're kind of sending a message yeah. to both your team. Desperation. And, the, the you know, our team is like, hey, we can't really do much on offense. We've got to start getting kind of tricky here, doing some gimmick plays to, to generate some yards. I mean, how much rushing yards did they have? How much passing yards did they have? Well, they finished with 149 total yards, and much of that came on that last drive right before the interception. The fake punt had 20 yards, and the last play, the last drive was like 60 yards, and everything else was nothing. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like every game to, you know, at some point the opponent's putting their backup quarterback in, whether it's just from frustration and uh, not, you know, when you talk about a quarterback that's leading – you know, the Big Ten and passing yards, yeah. I think they ended up putting their back up they in. They did. Or we're putting pressure on them and dinging them up, which I don't yeah. think is a great thing, but um, it's part of the game too. So at some point it seems like every team's put their backup quarterback in due to frustration. They actually have. Every, every, every single every, one? Every single team has that they, they have faced the backup quarterback every single game, whether through crappy play, as you mentioned, or through injury, one way or the other. And they saw it, I think it was crappy play on Saturday. There's some serious confidence on that defense right now. Coach Leonard has those guys playing fast. They know what they're doing. They all understand their assignment, and they're just cutting it loose. And they're having fun doing it, and that's it's been exciting to watch. When you, when you look at what Leonard has done with that defense, I think there's already talks about how much longer will he stick around Madison. I think like that's already how much longer. Open the checkbook. Well, right, but like, what if does, does he come across as a guy? I, I don't know about you guys. I think he kind of does. Does he come as across as a guy that wants to be a head coach and wants to run his own thing? I feel like he probably is that that kind of guy. I think everybody has a price. Sure. I mean, if you're going to offer him SEC money and you're going to give him 15 mil guaranteed over three years, I, I think that's something that could change you know a family's lifestyle. But I know that he absolutely loves Madison. And right. from a coaching standpoint and as a coordinator, I don't think he would want to do it anywhere else. And that's the thing. He tur- I believe he turned down uh, gigs at Florida State and Alabama, I believe, after the 2017 season. So if those two schools aren't going to get you to come, <laughs> you know, step away from Wisconsin for a defensive coordinator, but I think feel like a head coaching job would be a little bit different because it would be your own thing. Yeah, I think, you know, he's a very accomplished, you know, college football player, uh, NFL player. Like, like, what else is there to do? Like, obviously yeah. you've proven yourself as a defensive coordinator. You came from the NFL right to a defensive coordinator. You kind of, you know, went right to the top. I mean, obviously he's a he's got pride. He's a he's a, a proud coach. Like, what else can you do now? It's it's either you become the head coach at Wisconsin, which probably is his ultimate goal. I would want to say, yeah. Or you go do it somewhere else, and maybe maybe he just wants to stick it out as a D coordinator as long as he can at Wisconsin until maybe something happens, which I don't know. Anytime soon is probably not going to happen. So, I mean, you would hope he just wants to stick it out, but at some point money talks um getting that notoriety as a oh you're a great defensive coordinator what can you be a great head coach now right and i think that's the next step i think we're also going to see that on the offensive side of the ball too 
I'm surprised. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before. I think there's the perception, and obviously you're referring to Joe yeah, Rudolph. Yeah, I think Coach Rudolph is an unbelievable coach, and I think he would be an unbelievable head coach and administrator, and I think the world of him. And with success, there comes other opportunity. And I know, I mean, he's a Wisconsin guy too. Yep. He's a former team captain, and that's the cool thing about the staff that has been assembled now is there's a lot of guys with skin in the game, and they take a lot of pride in the program. Um, but again, with all the success, I think there's going to be other opportunities, and there could potentially be some change in the future. Yeah, think about that. I mean, how many coaches on the current team played football at Wisconsin? It's at least four. It's a ton. And it's probably more. I mean, it's, it's more than that, yeah. It's, I mean, you think about. Which you don't necessarily see across this, you know, the nation as, no. you know, guys that played at their school are now coaches at their school and big-time coaches at big-time programs. Yeah, Even I think in I, the strength and conditioning, too. Yeah. I mean, you got Coach K, you got Costigan, yep. Bud Meyer, Mickey Turner, Jimmy, Rudy, Paul. Yeah. There's a lot of guys. Yeah, and then you go I maybe mean, the grad, grad assistants, yeah. you know, as well. And I mean, it's it, there, there are a lot of guys, and I believe they're the only school right now that has the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and head coach all played at the, the school that they're now coaching at. I wonder what the, the thing with Joe Rudolph, and we'll talk about this on their side. I just wonder for you guys, just Paul's identity as an offensive coach and a guy who leads an offense and was so great, obviously as an offensive coordinator, kind of hurt his uh, Joe's ability, you know, to show himself and to show how good of a coach he is and how good of an offensive mind he is, and maybe he doesn't get enough credit. We'll talk about that on the other side. You're listening to the Wisconsin Football Roundtable live from Coaches Club in Cross Plains. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable with Zach Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back into the Wisconsin Football Roundtable. We're live at Coaches Club in Cross Plains, right on Main Street. Uh, before the break, we were talking about Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph and, and their relationship and, and whether Joe Rudolph would be able to, you know, maybe turn, as you said, Bill Nagy, uh, I should say before we get into this, former Badgers Bill Nagy, Brady Ewing, and Mike Taylor along with me. But we were talking about potentially Joe maybe to move on and get a head coaching job and whether, whether you know, his role with the offense is maybe a little overshadowed because of what you know Paul has has done as an offensive mind, and I'm just wondering, you know, what that relationship is like. You you obviously were a graduate assistant with them, so you kind of ha- have an understanding, a little bit better understanding than I think a lot of people do, about what that's like and what it is on game days and what it is like when they're calling plays. Because I think a lot of people are wondering who calls plays, and we ask people all the time like who's calling the plays, and neither Paul nor Rudy will ever tell you which one is calling plays. But just what what is that dynamic like? Well, first off, those guys have worked together for, shoot, probably dating back to, was it 2008 when Rudy came? I think so, yeah. As a tight ends coach, yep. and Paul was the OC at yeah. Wisconsin, and those guys, you know, stayed together, and then Paul obviously got the job at Pitt, and those guys helped grow that program, Yep. Um, and they're still together to this day, you know, working together and working through game plans and they understand each other about as well as a partnership can from a, a head coach, play caller, offensive mind. And I think Paul is the best in the business when it comes to calling offensive plays and really setting up a game plan. But Rudy also brings a ton of technical um, run game perspective to it as well. 
And I think over the last five years, um, they've been able to continue to complement off of each other and also add in John Budmeyer to that as well. Yeah. Um, who has been with Paul, um, you know, as a quarterback under him. Um, and then a you know a student assistant to a GA to now the quarterback coach, and I think those three guys um, working together um, has been unbelievable. So it's hard to say who is actually you know <laughs> ripping out the play calls on game day, but I, I do think they there's good dialogue and there's good communication going into each series and saying, hey, you know, Rudy, what do you see in John? Talk to me right here. Like, what do you guys like on you know normal down and distance? What's our third down play? Like, that's well well rehearsed. So whoever it's you know whoever is actually calling it i feel like it's a, a consensus type yeah. deal but that's i understand though, i understand where there's some uncertainty and where people you know are, are curious because there all are those plays within a game where somebody has to say hey you know it's fourth down and three yeah or a third down critical third down play like who's going to be the guy that's you know making that making that call and i i don't have the answer to that but <laughs> i do know that those guys work together for a long time and sure um there's nobody better in the business than paul at calling plays and also just a quick story when paul got the job here at wisconsin rudy took over that pit team going into the bowl game yeah so i got to see how he you know took a team over as a head coach and how he handled that administratively and how he ran practice and how the the team rallied around him um, and it was impressive too. That guy has an unbelievable future as a head coach. He's going to be—he's the real deal too. Yeah, he's done a fantastic job with the offensive line. Coming back into in 2015, where it was at, to, compared to where it is now, it's just like uh, you know night and day in terms of they were they were in trouble in 2015. I and mean, they were starting four redshirt freshmen at that point. The, the the staff prior to it had not done a great job developing yeah. offensive and, linemen. And that was his first offensive line job. Sure, he was coaching tight ends prior to that. Yeah. And, yeah, people don't realize how good of a recruiter he is, too. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. That is a huge aspect. And you talk about, I mean, there are some really great coaches around the nation. And, I, I mean, you guys all understand what they are. But the reason why they're where they are is because they can lure kids and they can recruit. Yeah. That's a big piece of it. And that asset that Wisconsin has with Rudy being able to go and, um, you know, if you ask him what his schedule is when he's traveling Ohio and traveling the nation trying to get kids to, to campus – in the evaluation process, too. I don't think there's anybody better in the business that does it either. Yeah, the Wisconsin staff in general, just evaluating talent and figuring out what works for them the best is probably among their greatest strengths. Um, looking ahead to Illinois, I don't think anybody is extremely worried about it, but there is a danger, I think, in this Illinois game. Just the idea of going down to that stadium. I know it's going to be homecoming, but there's still going to be like 40,000 people there. It's going to be There's not going to be a ton of energy. Um, Wisconsin has a huge game next week against Ohio State at Ohio State. Is there such a thing, Brady, as a trap game in your mind, or is this? I mean, if there ever was one, this is definitely probably be the situation. you got Ohio State next week um, playing an away game, an 11 o'clock game, inferior opponent. Um, I would say this would be it, given what I've seen this season and know about this coaching staff from our experience with them. I don't, I'm not too worried about it. Sure. Um, but I would say this could, could definitely characterize that as a trap game i looked at 2011 and it's not an exact you know comparison mike but it in 2011 you guys went down there you were really you're a really good team that year obviously you'd already lost a couple of games but you went down there you had a huge game the following week against penn state illinois not very good it was 28 17 and that was the team that had russell wilson had the team that was the offense that you know put i think what nine of 11 guys into the nfl i mean it was 
and it, a defense that was had some talent as well. Was that a situation where you're kind of looking ahead, do you think, if you can remember? I know you were playing on one knee at that point, but... You're always kind of, I mean, you're aware of the schedule and who you play and what games are big and which ones matter more than others. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago. <clears throat> was, you know, not taking any team lightly and looking ahead and all that. I think for that game, it was, I think Illinois got off to a, just a fast start, I want to say, and they jumped out to maybe a lead. Oh, it was Am 20, I wrong? I can't remember. All I know is the score was 28-17. I didn't go back and look exactly what happened in the game. I know we had a couple of big plays on, like, we just started out slow. Yeah. Whether it was defense or offense, and if you don't score like you used to against a team that you're expected to blow out, it's just like, oh, what's wrong? Like, I feel like to a certain extent, too, that was a little bit of our MO back 2010, 2011 was, was getting out to slow starts. And so I've been incredibly impressed with Wisconsin this year. seems like every opening drive, if we win the toss, we take the ball, we're confident with that, we put together a Wisconsin drive, and um, maybe it seems like we've scored every – opening possession i don't know if save, that's save the case for, but save for the michigan state game that was the first time all season where they had not scored on their opening drive okay but other Come, than that coming yeah. out to a fast start looking confident with it and um you know putting a good drive together offensive wise and then i know there's sometimes we started on defense too but been impressed with how they started games is illinois one of those places though that is like you walk in there and there's like nobody there and just not a, <laughs> a fun place to play I know, Mike, you've said in the past it just doesn't matter to you, but once once the game gets going, but, I mean, when you walk in there, there's, it's dead for the most part. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how much you pay attention to, you know, the crowd once you once you get going. I mean, before the game, you're, you're kind of checking out for the guys that haven't been there before. You're like, oh, you kind of see how much the, the crowd can hold, how big the stadium is. I know every time I went to a new, new stadium, it's like, all right, I've never been here before. Indiana, like, oh, looks decent. Like, should be a good turnout. Like, there's no one there. No there. Yeah. Same with Purdue. It's like, oh. I guess football's different down here than it is to Wisconsin. You're always comparing things to back home in Madison. It's like, all right, well, I guess you know they don't like their football down here, and you kind maybe that's a, a mental thing where it's like maybe their football team doesn't you know try as hard. But I mean, you find out real quick like these there's still D1, there's Big Ten football teams. And they everyone wants to beat the Badgers right now, right? Sure. And they're going to get your best shot. You're going to get the gimmick plays. You're going to get the trick plays. You're going to get the fake punts. Um, th- those coaches are firing up their kids too. Those kids got pride. They're scholarship players. Um, it's just about maintaining everything you've done up to this point. I mean, the good thing about the Badgers this year is they've they've been so consistent with the offense, the defense, whether they're playing down to opponent, beating the, the bad teams by a lot, and even beating the good teams by a lot. There's been no let off the gas pedal. Right. And I don't see that, you know, stopping this week. Hopefully, I mean, going into a week against Ohio State, how much how you know, perfect would it be, or how great would it be to roll into next week with another forty-two to zero, forty-two to seven victory? It's like, all right, like here we go. Yeah, like we've we've shown no weaknesses. Let's we've got a chance, and I think it's a it's a self-confidence thing. It, it, it boosts your self-esteem as a team, and I mean, I don't, I think they're they're a confident team that's rolling right now. No, they definitely are. Uh, they're also a team that has talked about how close they are, uh, how close they are on and off the field, and I'm. And they're having a lot of fun, and they like being around each other. And I guess I'm wondering if that's a product of winning, uh, or is winning a product of of that closeness? I mean, were the, some of the best teams you on that you were on were they close, or were they just close because they were winning teams? Interesting question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? It kind of it kind of um, is, but I, I kind of feel like all the teams that are really really good really really enjoy each other because. They're playing really well. I mean, I've, I've seen it with the Packers. Like, the Packers, 
are five and one, and everyone's talking about how much fun they're having, and, how, and they're enjoying people, and the locker room is amazing. And I'm like, okay, yeah. but what if they lose a couple of games? Is that locker room still going to be uh, amazing? I like, I feel like it's not going to be. And I'm wondering yeah. if that's with Wisconsin too, or is it just? Well, and winning it is. winning too gives you an opportunity to spin it that way. I think. Um, to be honest with you, I'd say, you know, some of the closer teams I've been a part of are some of the ones that you face adversity with too. You know, some of those ones where you go into an Ohio State or a Michigan State and you go through you know, quote-unquote hell and, and come out the other side and, you know, respond to adversity and go on the roller coaster ride together. And maybe not necessarily in the moment, but especially when you look back and you talk about, you know, the different things you went through and the stories and um, all of that. So I would almost spin it the other way, but I think winning does definitely gives you the opportunity to talk about it more because you're not, you know, focused on some of those negatives per se. I feel like there's the 2008 team. And it, that team was ultimately that was extremely talented team, right? They had had a ton of guys that went on and played in the NFL, but as soon as like a loss or two happened, everything kind of fell apart. And to me, that would seem to be like not a strong locker room. Like you don't like playing with each other. Like it's not it's not great. You two, I mean, all you guys were there. Was that what it was like, or was it just it just didn't play well? You know, I, I don't want to say that it wasn't that. Um guys weren't close and friends and all the other stuff that comes along with it but i can kind of correlate that a little bit to maybe what happened last year um you have guys that are at different points within their career and one or two things go wrong or don't happen as you would expect and then guys start looking towards the future and then they start worrying about more of the individual stuff than the team and when that starts happening I mean, it's a snowball effect, right? Sure. So the way it starts isn't always the way it finishes, but I think to, you know, what Brady said, when there are tough times, you know, guys have the choice. You can come together and you could face it, or you could, you know, have that be a wedge and it could pull you further and further apart. But um, I think it, you know, it could go either way. But this year it seems like they have some unbelievable leadership, and I think Chris Orr, everybody keeps talking about Chris, you know, and – that dude's been through it all. You yeah. talk about somebody in a career that's, you know, had the injuries and he gets that other side and he has, you know, an older brother that played in the NFL and he has some wisdom to pass on to some of the younger guys and more inexperienced guys. Um, and I think he's just a great example of um, who those guys can look up to and strive to be as a leader. But it's also, you know, things are good right now. So, of <laughs> course, you're going to say... You know, everybody's close. Yes, they are very good. Wisconsin 6-0 looking for their second 7-0 start in the last two years coming up on Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more about that game coming up. You're listening to the Wisconsin Football Roundtable live from Coaches Club in Cross Plains. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable with Zach Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back into the Wisconsin Football Roundtable. We are by the Coaches Club in Cross Plains. All right, so this past weekend, or this past week, uh, on Monday Night Football, I don't know if you guys, there was a big story, obviously. The, the At the end of the game, the officiating, for anybody that's n- not aware, there were some officiating calls at the end of the Packers-Lions game that were rather, um, I guess, questionable, if you if you want to say that. Uh, the NFL has come out and said maybe some were questionable. I'm just wondering, and I feel like fans probably, 
take this a little bit more serious than the players and hold on to it a little bit maybe longer than, than the players. I mean, Detroit Lions fans have put up billboards in uh, Michigan with pictures of, fa- of uh, officials with cheese heads on their head. So, I mean, I, th- I feel like some people take it a little bit further, but just for you guys, anything that stands out to you, a call in a game that maybe stood out to you that has stayed with you to this day that like is a bad call that cost you something? Again, we're the former Badgers, uh, Mike Taylor, Brady Ewing, and, and Bill Nagy. Any of you guys, like anything that stands out to you? I, I, for me personally, in just covering the team, there's a couple of ones that stand out. The end of the 2015 season against Northwestern, where uh, Jazz Peavy caught a touchdown pass at the end of the game to win the game, and it was eventually overruled and, and ruled not a touchdown, and Wisconsin ended up losing that game. And then at Arizona State in 2013, where Joel Stavi took a knee and... <laughs> The, uh, the officials didn't see him take the knee, and so they thought he fumbled, and either way, it didn't allow them to kick the field goal and to potentially win that game. Those are the ones that stick out to me just having covered the team, but is there any moments in your career that uh, stand out at all? Anybody? You got anything? I, I mean, I can think of one, but no one's ever going to think it's a thing. I will. Um, <laughs> 2009, Ohio State, at Ohio State. I think it was a close game. Scott Tolzien was a quarterback. Their quarterback was Terrell Pryor. I think it was like an option left, and Terrell Pryor cut back, and I was like the backside linebacker, and I think the, the near tackle came up to me, and I see the, the pivot back across field, and I start running. Obviously, Terrell Pryor's fast. I don't know if I would have had the angle, but it didn't help that the tackle was holding on to me by my shoulder pads, <laughs> and I think he ran for like 50 yards. I can't remember if it was a touch or not, but that was a big play in the game where these penalties that nobody notices can actually affect the game yeah. you know that you know it's just a, a tackle bill's familiar with holding i'm sure but it's like <laughs> never in his life has he done it <laughs> like small little plays like that can have such a big outcome in a big game well in the in that ohio state game you guys defensively were really really good that game the only you allowed up i think you allowed two special teams touchdowns otherwise it would have been uh would have forget what game. the final score was but i know it was, it was close throughout the game it was a game of like no big plays methodical marching down the field and then that happened and we're kind of opening up to i think that they either got a field goal or a touchdown out of it it, just, it changed the game i think yeah i don't know I'd, brady you got anything on uh, it's coming to mind Nothing really. <laughs> technical difficulties my uh, battery yeah. might be dead but yeah. um nothing really jumping out to me i think the biggest thing would probably be some of the ones that you know some of those close calls that were pivotal in games that we ended up winning you know, whether it be Monty Ball reaching out over the goal line at Iowa or, um, you know, games like that. So it, it's uh, something you definitely take away from it and uh, and remember. Yeah, no, it, it is. And it's, it's one of those things where you look at whether those things can change seasons. I, I don't think, like, it changed seasons for Wisconsin – I think the 2013 seems maybe could have been different if you kicked that field goal against Arizona State. Maybe you're undefeated going into Ohio State, kind of like they are this year. But for the most part, you only remember it if it does change your season. And it, for you guys, I don't think it probably has. Has it, Bill? Anything that I, stands out? I, I honestly cannot recall one play or one flag yeah. affecting the season or the game that much. I'm sure there, there probably are, but... You always just got to go back to, did you put yourself in that situation? Um, a lot of these flags don't just come out of nowhere. Right. And the hands-to-the-face deal, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. But let's look at every single pass rush prior to that. Right. 
and let's see if there were 10 times throughout the game where his hand was in the face mask and that was the one where it was like hey dude i see what you're doing you know you've done that a few times cut it out and then it was just this close where things happen so fast and then the flag comes um but did you, you guys have been in games where there's been the rest and he's talked to you and said hey you know watch for the holding and next next thing you know there's a flag that comes out of somebody's pocket but that's that's the way i see it did you ever talk to a ref yeah, like and say because that because that's what the big thing is here. Like David Bakhtiari talked to the ref and said, "This guy's putting his hands in my face." I think he was setting it up because, like, when you watch the fi- watch the film, he's oh, acting yeah, head, like his head is going back when it's really not. And right, like it's a it's a a Absolutely. veteran move. Like you, it's it's the rule. Do it if they're not if they're going to call it. Why not do it? But it's just like. Is it not sportsmanlike? Are you, gonna, to, are you trying to sit here and say it's not sportsmanlike? It's kind of unsportsmanlike, right? And I'm, you hate to see the penalties, especially the penalties that aren't real penalties and all these PI penalties, and they go review them, and it's just like, you know what? I'd rather don't call the penalties unless it's like an egregious hold or to the face or a face mask. These ticky-tack fouls, like a hands to the face, or even a close one like that, you don't call that. You're, you're going to affect the outcome of game. What is it, an automatic first down or something like that? It turned into yeah. Is it automatic first down? One wipe, ridiculous. yeah. One wiped out a sack, and the other one, yeah, set up, set them up inside the uh, to to kick a field goal to win the game. But but you guys have, yeah. but you guys have done that before, haven't you? You've gone and talked to an official and said, "This guy's holding me." Like any coach isn't doing their like. I feel like that's coach malpractice if you're not doing that and saying, "Watch the hold." Yeah, watch here's the, the thing hold, with holding. Watch this, watch that. It's a part of the game. Like, it happens every play, right? You got to get used to because it it's going to happen on every single play. And if you're the guy that's constantly, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm getting held. I'm getting held." You're probably not going to get those calls going your way. Like every now and then, if he's legitimately holding you, maybe. But if you're barking to the referee, it's not going to help your cause. Right. But in this case, it appears to have uh, helped. And it, hey, it is what it is. I mean, I mean, he's a Packers fan, clearly, right? That's what we found out. Me? No, the ref. Oh, the ref. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, Roger Goodell desperately wanted the Packers to win that game, and he helped and uh, he threw some money at the ref and said, "Make sure this happens so the Packers get to five and one and the Lions are two two and one because it's it's a huge huge deal." Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Bakhtiar was kind of getting his butt kicked, honestly. He's I mean, Flowers, Flowers yeah. was getting extended on him and getting up into his. Up that's into his Flowers' place, deal. He's got those long arms. He does that yeah. move every time. Yeah. A little bull rush gets extended. He on was him. getting his tail kicked, so yeah. that's obviously a reason why he was probably preaching to the ref too. And, and, and Bakhtiari is one of the one of the best left tackles in the game, but he's he clearly is dinged up. He's been he's gotten a lot of penalties already this year. He's been uh, feel like he's been. Uh, not as good as he has been in past years. I think he's certainly dealing with an injury, but we'll see. What injury? He's been dealing with a back injury. He's been yeah. on the injury report. Um, yeah, it's, didn't it's practice. Tough. It's tough. I'm not making excuses for the guy. No, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying he's say? a bad player. He's an All Pro left tackle. <laughs> I just was curious. Yeah. Uh, we'll t- we'll get uh, a little bit more into stuff coming up on the other side. You're listening to the Wisconsin Football Roundtable live from Coaches Club in Cross Plains. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable with Zach Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back into the Wisconsin Football Roundtable. We are live at Coaches Club in Cross Plains, getting uh, getting ready for Wisconsin and Illinois coming up on Saturday. Got former Badgers Brady Ewing, Mike Taylor, and Bill Nagy with us. And 
there's a couple other Big Ten games this week. Ohio State, before they play Wisconsin, goes to Northwestern. Northwestern has not been very good this year. Uh, they've given teams trouble, but they haven't actually won games. But they have a little bit of a home field advantage this week. Not, not in the stands, certainly. And there's going to be certainly a lot more Ohio State fans uh, at Northwestern, as there pretty much is everywhere uh, Northwestern plays. There's always a lot more uh, opposing fans in their home stadium. But they've jokingly, well, maybe not even jokingly, they've grown out the grass. And they, they do this all the time, and especially against Ohio State, to try and slow them down a little bit. There's a tweet out there of them <laughs> saying that the grass is nine inches high right now, uh, which it obviously isn't. However, it is something real. Uh, Bill, you were saying that it feels like you're, what, running in mud? Sand. Sand? Okay. For an offensive lineman, that's not super important because <laughs> we're not very fast anyways. <laughs> But um, it's just a different feel from what you're used to. And in this day and age, it's a bunch of field turf and some, you know, low-cut grass. And go in there, and you just feel like you're walking on a cloud. It just is, It's a different feel to it. And I know that before field turf, there was at Iowa, they did some similar yep. stuff. At Penn State, it was very similar, too. It's just yep. – and it's not – if you're not used to even practicing on it, um, it's, it's a different feel to get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, back when we were playing, too, I mean, sounds silly, but you get used to wearing a certain kind of cleat, and then all of a sudden you go and play on a grass field, and they throw you in a different pair of cleats throughout preparation that week, and and for that game, um, something little, but uh, yeah. Still wearing socks thing. with holes in them. <laughs> Always. Get a brand new pair of cleats, you get socks <laughs> with the holes in them. What? Yeah, that was a big deal for a while. What was, so what Everybody was talks on? about all the stuff that, you know, college student athletes get. I remember, you know. To get a new pair of socks, you had to trade in the ones with the holes in them. You had to prove it. <laughs> was it an Adidas thing or was that a Wisconsin thing? It had to be Adidas. I think it was a little bit of everything. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to name names. <laughs> it seems like it's gotten a lot better. Those guys, seems like they get quite a bit of gear with them. So much armor. better that I went to uh, the Friday practice and, Zach, you saw me on Saturday. Me and my buddies were all wearing matching <laughs> Under Armour tops. Like. Dang, I went to a I didn't practice. get a, I didn't I didn't get get a cool jacket like that back when I played, and now they're giving out three to you know a bunch of bum alumni. So, well, you're big time, Mike. Did yeah. it fit under your you letter jacket. You led tackles that one year. What's that? <laughs> you led tackles in the Big Ten that one year. It's very true. <laughs> on on one leg, I believe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to tell that story again? No, I'm <laughs> yeah, let's go. That story, no. But I think I feel like it was. We got such a great reception and a reaction from. Mike Taylor story week from uh, the injury stories. We may even have to turn that into a weekly thing. One story, one injury story a week from Mike Taylor. It doesn't here's even more, have to be a football like a nationwide injury. crisis right here. We'll kind of mix in current events with with football. Uh oh, the whole <laughs> opioid cri uh, crisis. The opioid know. crisis. Yep. Yeah, like when I. Well, you guys, what, would I say it wrong or what? Yeah, you o got it. Opioid. You got it. I'm wondering where this is going. No, no, it's. I know it's where. I it's mean, going. ACL surgery. What my freshman year and. I mean, personally, me, it was so painful to go through. I mean, it happens all over. Like, it's just a real thing. I yeah. mean, you're, some guys tear the ACLs. There's probably like five to ten guys that happens to on a team every year. And you have the surgery. You fix it up. And the, the pain afterwards for two weeks is excruciating. At least it was for me. And how do you? How do you, you well, I mean, know, you only had a bullet in your leg for two well, weeks. That was, and that was nothing. Yeah. That was nothing. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you, you, you get these pills. And I think back then it's a little different than now. I mean, they gave they gave me a hundred a, a thing full of 120. What is it? Vicodin. Uh, Vicodin or uh, what's the p word? 
Prednisone? No. <laughs> anyway, these these painkillers and like I we're not I'm not fluent in plain painkillers. Percocet? As Percocets. Okay. And as a as a football player and as like a kid, you don't you don't know you just know it helps you feel better. And so when you, they say, you know, take two every four hours, you find out taking four every two hours feels better. <laughs> and I mean you, you put that up you add those up during the day, I think at one point I was probably taking sixteen a day. What? Is I shouldn't say that. And I didn't know that was Sorry. a lot. It was just like, oh, this feels better. And I remember at one point, I was back home after surgery. It must have been like the second or, you know, first or second day home. I'm sleeping out in the, in the living room just because I can't walk or anything. And I wake up, and the room just is like spinning around me. And I'm like, what is going on? My heart was like beating so fast. And I'm just like, whoa. Came out of a deep sleep. And I'm feeling weird, right? And I'm like trying to breathe and like calm myself down because my heart was beating so fast. And literally, the room was spinning, which is just so weird. That's my one experience as far as, like, painkillers are real and, like, abusing them. And not saying that I was purposely abusing them. But if you take an amount that you're not used to or you've never done it before, like, it can get out of hand. And luckily, I never got addicted. But I know they used to. And I don't know if they still pass these things out like, like candy almost. And it's easy to get addicted if you're some guys and abuse it. I mean, it's a real thing. Is a room spinning kind of like it did on a Friday or Saturday night, or was it more serious than that? It's probably a little more serious, yeah. I mean, it's just like one of those things, like, yeah, you're kind of out of it, but you're not trying to be out of it. You're not even sure you're out of it. You just kind of wake up, and it's like, what's happening? Yeah, that's obviously uh, difficult, and I, now I kind of feel weird about asking about the about this, about this. Now I kind of feel weird about asking about the story that I was going to ask you about, which was the Rose Bowl, which you have told before. Um, where you were on a table getting ready for the game. I mean, it just happens. It's uh, okay. But ten go ahead. years ago, it was go a lot ahead. different than it is now. I mean, it is. It is. Go ahead and tell. Let that me tell one. the backstory. Like I was sure. super hurt. I think it, my senior year. I mean, I was going through two hernias, and like I wanted to play. It's the rules. What's your last game? And it's just like, hey, I'm so used to playing. I know there's things we can do. What can we do? And I kind of, I mean, you put the blame on me. I probably pressured people into doing things they probably didn't want to do, prescribing things they didn't want to prescribe, whether it's shots, pills you know certain medicated bandages you just go down so far down a road that you've been used to you're like oh i can handle anything you know and you do these things that probably aren't the best or the safest for you and you do it to help your team you think you're doing a you know something good for your for yourself and for your team and you, you kind of look back and it's it's just so crazy what you would do to play football and not feel pain you right. know some of the sacrifices you would make as a football player you're kind of making these decisions yourself your parents aren't there the doctors aren't your parents. They probably advise you, like, hey, this is getting kind of sketch. But it's like, we've never we've never done this either. So, like, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. You're kind of the trial here. So, I mean, I can't blame anyone but myself or yeah. anything. I'm not saying anything bad happened. It's just some crazy things that, you know, some guys do to sacrifice their bodies to right, right. play the game. And you ended up on the table, buck naked, before the Rose Bowl against Stanford. I was getting a shot into my pubic bone and my pelvic bone, just a, a straight painkiller. And how did it work? It didn't work well. It did not work well. Um, I had to, for, I was a third down, I was an all down linebacker. And on third downs, they would do something called like the Badger. Um, so we'd bring out like our blitz. And I had to cover the running back or a tight, or a tight end or a, it's a passing down, basically what it is. And the Stanford running back was shifty. I think it was something Taylor. And I could not run full stride with this guy. I couldn't open up my gate whatsoever. And so I had to do the one thing go to the bench when we got off the field and be like, hey, Ethan, man, Ethan Armstrong, I can't run. 
I can't even get close to full speed here. You got to go in the game on third downs because I can't run. Because my groin is, it ended up being my groin was being ripped off my pelvic, pelvic, pelvic Dude. bone. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a, a, a real thing, and I was trying to cover it up with basically duct tape. Yeah. And, you know, ibuprofen to the max. So. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's a. Uh Things are different these days, obviously. I, I hope so, yeah. yeah. I think they are. Yeah. Uh, again, guys, thank you very much. Uh, we'll be uh, back next week getting ready for the Ohio State game. First, got to take care of Illinois. You've been listening to the Wisconsin Football Roundtable live from Coaches Club in Cross Points. This is the Wisconsin Football Roundtable on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.